103.2 Dublin City FM. This is Mental Wealth with Brian Green. If you want to get in touch with the programme, the email address is mentalwealth at dublincityfm.ie. Just before we go to today's uh, detail, I am following and tracking the 200 hours uh, well-being classes in school and have some detail on that that it's actually 300 hours and it is happening at junior cycle level so it's about seven and a half hours a week in well-being classes we should have more details in an interview on that in the coming weeks to today's program and i'm dealing with the homelessness issue and in my company is nathan fagan of bold puppy hi nathan hi how's it going uh, you and your colleagues teamed up with others and created a production that was released in July, August called Through the Cracks. Tell us a bit about it. Um, yeah, so basically uh, Through the Cracks is a short documentary released directly online um, at the end of July, just exploring the experiences of three families who are currently living in emergency accommodation in Dublin. Um, so it kind of covers the general experiences of these families, but also it has a particular kind of emphasis on the psychological and emotional consequences of, uh, and kind of challenges of living in emergency accommodation. My name is Emily and I'm 11. When I grow up, I want to be a fashion designer because I love fashion. My name is Alana and I'm eight. When I grow up, I want to be a hairstyler and a makeup styler. I'm playing nine years old. When I grow up, I want to be a Lego set designer. If I had three wishes, my first wish would be get a new house. Give everyone a house to have a house. I was working part-time, so 25 hours a week. We lived in Crumlin um, for just over two and a half years. I was renting an apartment for nine years. Everything was safe. Everyone kind of looked out for each other. And then the landlord just wanted to sell. For that kind of first couple of days, I was panicking. I was looking and looking and looking. The rental market had gone through the roof. I just couldn't afford anything on the rental market. There was no way I could afford it. So we became homeless. On the Monday morning, I went down to the homeless unit. All the homeless sector done was hand me a piece of paper with two phone numbers. One to self-accommodate. Which is, they give you a phone number and you have to ring all the hotels and B&Bs to try and get accommodation for the evening. I had just started a new job and you'd have to go into Park H Street and into the corporation and into all these places and I ended up having to leave the job. Trying to run around in a panic, it wasn't feasible, it wasn't working out. If you don't find a hotel or B&B before 4pm, you ring an emergency line. It was like 8 or 9 o'clock at night, we were waiting for a call to say we have somewhere for you. So we were kind of just hanging around, walking around, waiting for a phone call. We had two suitcases and then I had my son's buggy, so it was a nightmare. Lots of hotel and B&Bs will just torn away families, myself included. This part was demoralising. 
I had worked my whole life. I had done everything possible to get ahead, but I kept falling behind. It was just a massive poverty trap. No matter what I'd done, it wasn't good enough. I felt like that I wasn't able to provide for my kids. I felt like it was all my fault. Like I blamed myself, saying like I'm their mother and I can't keep a roof over their heads. I just felt powerless and worthless and there's nothing I could do. How did it all come about? Um, basically, it kind of came out in a kind of organic way. So uh, I was approached by a poet and a political activist called Ingrid Casey, who... Um, who had been kind of wanting to do a project kind of um, exploring the, the current housing crisis for quite a long time. And in the past, she'd worked on kind of um, different kind of uh, like campaigns and kind of uh, projects surrounding homelessness. So, yeah, I was approached by her and she wanted to make a documentary. And then she also had approached an old school friend of hers, Luke Daly, who's also a filmmaker. And then we decided to kind of come together and work on the project. So that's, yeah. It was uh, first kind of screened in early August. What impact is it having as a film? Yeah, so um, it's kind of, I guess, the online presence is um, we had a small kind of screening with a uh, panel Q&A at a gallery in town to launch the film. And we had kind of um, a talk with some activists and some of the mothers who feature in the film. And then we released it directly online. So up, up to now, it's got about, you know, 75,000 views on Facebook and a good few thousand kind of uh, views in general. But it seems to be kind of being shared around on Facebook and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's got kind of quite a lot of media attention up to now. So the Irish Times, quite fortunately, did a uh, piece on it and included a clip from the film as The Independent and a number of other publications. And we've had uh, organized interviews with the mothers featured in the film um, on RT Radio and things like that. So... That's been quite positive because I suppose our one of our main really goals with the film was really just to allow on a kind of human level people to hear the experiences of people who are living through the housing crisis. So yeah, and on that level we've definitely achieved what we set out to do, which was to give voice to people who aren't always able to kind of express their experiences in the media. Just your mind racing, all these thoughts going through your head panicking about how my son was going to feel, what way it was going to affect him. So they had rang me about 8pm saying they got me a women's kind of shelter and I just thought I can't do this. It was only two days like that and it felt like months. So the next day I just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. I just got through to the hotel that I'm in now and just by chance a family had only moved out. One charity, they told me that if Parkgate Street didn't give me somewhere for the weekend, they'd pay for a hotel. So I had to go down to Parkgate Street and they said that this hub was going to be the best thing ever. It was going to be great and much better than hotels. I actually presented myself and Emily to one hotel because I wanted them to see that we were real people. We just are in a tough spot at that time. When I did that, I actually secured us accommodation. The production style is that the the audio that you hear are real families, real mothers in the process of uh, looking to be homed or are they're 
moving between hubs and homes and they're on waiting lists and the visuals that you see are actors and you're kind of portraying and and acting out to the the soundtrack uh, was that a very effective process for you um yeah so i suppose um there was a couple of different reasons why we came to that decision so like the the reason we decided to take that approach largely was to do with access like at the time when we were doing the interviews and after we'd kind of met the mothers and we realized what the shape the approach we were going to take with the film was we realized that the most kind of emotionally engaging and really accurate way to represent their experiences would be to try to show what it's like to live in say a hotel with your child or a hub which are the uh, communal housing kind of projects that have been created by the government so we knew that realistically we wouldn't be actually be given access to any of these as filmmakers because there's so many rules and regulations around even them having kind of guests as friends or family to these places so it's would have been impossible for us to get in there so that was kind of part of what led to it yeah another reason and kind of consideration was that like although the mothers themselves have been incredibly open and really courageous in coming out and speaking about it because there there is stigmatization around stuff like this for for anyone kind of go on, like going through this um one of the reasons we kind of decided to take the kind of actor approach was because i think all the parents were slightly uncomfortable with actually having their kids faces featured in the film you do hear their real voices but obviously look you know these kids are going to school they're living regular lives and there is an incredible amount of kind of stigmatization out there so I guess the concern of the parents and us was let's try to avoid any kind of awkward situations where they're being identified as being part of a project, you know, that could potentially have happened. So that's part of it as well. So I live in hotel. It's really fancy inside and there's a restaurant and a breakfast place. I play with my dolls and do colouring and I read books. It's like a hotel, but like the rooms are a lot smaller and all. And then there's like kitchens and laundry rooms. And then a load of other people living on the same floor as well. You get bunk beds. I'm on the top bunk and my ma's on the bottom bunk. Most of the dinners at the hotel were just takeaways. There was no cooking. And it was small. And then I had to stay in the same bed as my mum. Obviously, it's about 11 minutes long, but it's uh, impactful in that 11 minutes. There's lots more footage that's created and captured before you make that. Your own feelings about homelessness from, you know, a position you might have had before you went making this and then what you learnt during the process how, how, how have you been updated or uh, educated on the area yeah i mean definitely i think personally anyway and i can i think i can speak as well for my uh, for ingrid who i worked with and, and luke as well as i think our i think our understanding of homelessness and the housing crisis in ireland particularly have definitely evolved and become much more nuanced i think what what really surprised me was really changed not ch yeah what really surprised me i think was realizing that like all these mothers were working at the time they all were renting they all kind of um they all had full lives you know that they were living and as rent the rental uh prices started to go up they literally just 
couldn't afford to live in Dublin anymore or and then obviously they all have kids so kind of moving outside of outside of Dublin to more rural parts where it might have been more affordable would have not necessarily been an option for a variety of practical reasons reasons as well so I think what really amazed me and also kind of really opened my eyes was that yeah like you know these there's a huge amount of people in Ireland who are very close to finding themselves in the same situation. It's not these rare cases. It's it really is linked to the fact that the you know rental prices have become completely unmanageable here, and it, it just it astounds me that people could have you know have jobs and kids and full families, and then within a couple of months they're suddenly homeless and destitute. You know that seems strange. Well, the hope is an old Magdalen laundry. Downstairs of the hub is lovely and bright and shiny. The rooms aren't. The walls are closing in on you. They're so small, they're claustrophobic, you feel like you can't breathe. The hotel we are in, we have a kitchen and I have washing facilities. So I think while I'm there, I think I'm kind of feeling not too bad. But you know, now like I have kind of nobody to talk to when I'm up in the hotel where I used to like go out the front garden, have a cigarette and there'd be somebody out and you'd have a little chat with them for a couple of minutes. I know like that they're trying their best, but it's not made for families to live in. I know it's not a prison, but sometimes you feel like you've done something wrong or you're looked down on. You can feel yourself becoming institutionalised. You know, if they're playing and they're getting a bit hyper, I'm constantly telling them to shut up and be quiet because on the rules, they tell you, like, keep the noise down, keep this, keep that. The worst thing for me, though, was Emily constantly asking, how much longer are we going to be here? How much longer? How much longer? How much longer? My daughter's asking her friends to sleep over and I obviously have to say, well, they can't or just not allowed visitors. There's nobody his age in the hub. He's nobody to play with. He's around adult conversations too much. People in the hub would have a lot of their own issues and then all living on top of each other. It can become explosive. It can be a lot of fights, a lot of language, things that shouldn't be going on around kids. It's a very emotive piece to watch and it has echoes for me of Cathy Come Home, Ken Loach from the 1960s. And we're, we're back in this kind of position again decades after the 60s and 100 years after uh, tenements in this city of Dublin. People are in a housing crisis again. The emotive piece is because it is an emotive issue. The the well being and the mental health of the people involved in the in the project, how how could you report on that? How did you find them being affected in their mental well being? Yeah, so like that that was definitely when we originally started before we had interviewed anyone, we had a kind of general understanding of what the issues were. And then once we had, so obviously well before we filmed anything, we did audio interviews and we met all the mothers and everyone involved. And that's how we kind of came up with the structure of the film. But yeah, pretty quickly after we had done the interviews, we realized there was a corollary among all their experiences was the mental health kind of consequences for the kids and for themselves. And we, that was obviously something that we, we just saw being discussed quite in depth across all their experiences. So 
yeah we just re- we just you know from that we kind of decided actually this is something that we should probably focus on because obviously you know there's a lot of different negative aspects to this experience for individuals but at the same time i think what to me anyway is probably potentially the most long-lasting damaging aspect is the mental health consequences i think really interestingly is one of the mothers featured in the film jenny she when she was younger she was when she was 13 she ended up living on the streets um and she was homeless and she subsequently managed to actually i don't know how through massive kind of you know it's like amazing really when you think about it she managed to pull herself out of it, get a job you know when she was young uh, got an apartment got her life completely on track and then had her first child and now she's uh, unfortunately again going through the same experience but what's fascinating about her and really interesting is that because of her experiences when she was younger she knows and had lived through a number of quite serious kind of mental health issues you know uh, like mostly anxiety and you know insomnia and I guess, you know, which makes a lot of sense. So I think f- having her kind of insight where she realized that she's seeing the same things happening to her son now because of, although his situation is a little bit different, I think that really kind of opened her eyes to it. And, you know, I think the, the thing that probably is really important for people to understand is that, you know, once people are housed, it's not it's not necessarily like within a couple of months, that's it now, that's they can put that behind them. I mean, people could live with this potentially for, you know, five, 10 years, and it might be be a very long road potentially to get over the kind of mental health, emotional and psychological kind of uh, issues that arise because of it. So I think that's an important thing that needs to be taken into account, you know. For that, I had been homeless before. I lived on the streets when I was 13. One of them kids that fell through the cracks. So I've kind of experienced it from both sides. Growing up after being homeless, I would have had a lot of mental health issues. When I was 23, I had my son. It was the first kind of unconditional love in my life. I learned to tackle my mental health issues then. To become homeless again, it just kind of like comes flooding back. The anxiety, the depression, the thoughts. I never thought I'd like my child would end up in that position and I know he's not in the same position, but I'm watching him change. That's what gets to me. It's like, is he going to be my age still dealing with mental health issues? I think if if this was uh, not radio and a more visual piece, we could put clips up of the headlines, homeless crisis, housing crisis, homelessness. And it has been said to me that it, in fact, is not a crisis because it is just a crisis for the people involved in the homelessness, but that... In fact, if it was looked at as an emergency, and that's more on the the solution side. This was screened up in the door last week, and it was seen by a wide range of uh, politicians from all political parties and none. Uh, Is there any kind of sense of what the solutions are and when are they going to come? In fact, let's put the when before the what. When is the solutions going to arrive and what are the solutions you're hearing? Yeah, so it was definitely an interesting experience um, screening it into the doll and we were fortunate enough to have quite a good turnout and obviously I'm just speaking from my kind of personal perspective on this and as I say, we're not politicians or policy makers or theorists, we're purely filmmakers. But having said that, yeah, I think think actually what was quite encouraging was sitting in and listening to there was a lot of passion in the room and from people who are currently involved in policy which is great but it yeah I think what was interesting was I think that there is a sense maybe with 
kind of uh, the way the main parties are kind of expressing this issue is that it's intractable or that's something that's inevitable. And I think what's really important is that that's not true, you know what I mean? And that's what I'm understanding from people who are very involved in the kind of the policy aspects of it, you know, and trying to understand what's actually going on. This is something that there, there are steps that can be taken to, to fix it, it seems. Obviously, I don't think, I don't, I, I have no way to say when or how or exactly what that is, but it seems like there's, there are definite things that can be done. And it seems to be, it's a policy issue. That's what it is. Largely, it's a policy issue. My hobbies are like Lego, singing, drawing and art. It annoys me like tiptoeing around because like, if I want to like sing or dance, people come out and start screaming saying you're being too loud. It's super annoying, I have to follow all the rules, do everything that like they tell you. So I don't really know why I'm out there. In the hotel, we usually just went to school and then came home and then did homework. That's all we did. Because I knew I wasn't going to make friends there, because it was a hotel. Just me and my mum all the time. Well, my best friend is Holly, and we used to always play with each other, but I don't really see her that much. Didn't know whether it was allowed. I encourage people to check out this uh, film because you're only hearing the very powerful audio here on the radio and it's available at truthecracks.ie and uh, do watch it. It's 11 minutes. It's it's very powerful. The power of film to tell a story like this, obviously advertising industry, the, the movie industry is multi-billion uh, dollar and global, but the power to tell a local very important uh, story of true impact on people's lives. How has this project kind of opened your mind to that? Yeah, so, I mean, in my personal background, I've made quite a few short documentaries in the past about, and some of them would definitely be kind of touching on social issues. So it's definitely something that I'm, as part of my kind of ethos as a filmmaker, as it is with Bowl Puppy in general, we definitely do... A mixture of projects, obviously some commercial to pay the bills, but we we a big part of what we do is making films that hopefully kind of open up people's eyes and instigate change. I think, as I say, like this project definitely has given me a kind of more nuanced and fuller understanding of the homeless crisis at the moment and the experience of people living through that. Is this something that's potentially going to go on a limited release in cinemas or going to festivals? I mean, obviously, we've sent it into a couple of festivals, but because it went online, it's actually ineligible for a lot of film festivals. We are continuing to try to get it out as much as possible. You know, if if we thought it was worthwhile kind of pursuing that, for sure we try. But I think for, for us at the moment, or at least from what we understand at the moment about kind of reaching audiences, I think online is the most effective way. Anxiety is something that all children in homeless accommodation have and suffer from, every single one of them. You constantly live in fight or flight mode, constantly anxious. You're constantly worrying what's going to happen tomorrow, how much longer is it going to be? Will we be here tomorrow? I mean, she was going to school, she was crying her eyes out. I know he hides a lot of it in school. If he hears the word homeless, he thinks that somebody's talking about him. His skill have put him forward into therapy because of his anxiety. And he'll sit there sometimes and he'll cry and 
I'll say it won't be for much longer and we'll get a house soon, but you can see he's lost hope because he just answers with, yeah, right. Um, my biggest fear is the unknown. Next week, my month is up in the hotel and I won't know till maybe a day or two beforehand if they'll extend me for another month or not. I don't know what the next day is going to bring. It's the feeling of hopelessness, like I'm his mammy and I'm supposed to make it right, but I can't make this right. And that's what kills me the most. And finally, do you think that, that you know, there'll be an extension to this, like that you might work on, on a similar project with the same people again? Um, definitely not opposed to the idea. I think if it would be valuable for them and for the overall discourse and discussion around um, the housing crisis, 100%, yeah. There's no immediate plans to do anything, I don't think, uh, to continue this on just yet. Really, we're still in the stage of just trying to continue to kind of get people watching it and get these mothers' kind of stories and experiences out there for people to hear and just giving them a voice, you know. Nathan Fagan, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a million for having me. It'll be a sad world if our children, our next generation, behave how this government are behaving because this government have and are treating them as though they are invisible, as though they don't matter when they do matter. Very much. My thanks to Nathan Fagan of Bold Puppy. The credits for the production are as follows. Directors Luke Daly, Nathan Fagan. Producers Ingrid Casey and Bold Puppy. Uh, DOP Kevin Minogue. Assistant camera was Andrew Moore. Editor Nathan Fagan. Sound operators Steve Jackson, Kieran Horgan and Barry Conley. Music was by Stevie Dara. Sound design Christopher Barry. Sound mix by Colin McKenna and Jay Boland. And the colourist was Dan Moran. What a wonderful, wonderful film check it out through the cracks.ie it's a really busy time of the year for mental health it's uh, mental health month welcome to october everybody Uh, mental health week is next week and world mental health day is always the 10th of october which is also next week watch out for the following this week today peace within radio and they are at peacewithinradio.com are starting a fundraiser to set up a new mental health radio station in the UK. Check that out. Also, Walk On My Shoes Radio, Wims FM, is back next week from uh, Monday the 8th of October. Check them out in Dublin on 105.2 FM. And they've got a, a great lineup of programmes coming again for their fifth year. And just two more for this week, a free event on Thursday the 4th of October, Smock Alley, and it's on at 10.30 on Thursday morning. It's the HSE National Office of Suicide Prevention and the National Suicide Research Foundation, and they'll be hosting an event to launch their annual report for 2017. And finally, in Dublin 7, in St. Oliver Plunkett's own Rua GAA Club, on the Navan Road, it's Mind Matters 2 from Plunkett's and it's on from 7.30 to 10 o'clock on Thursday night. And the speakers are Kenneth Egan, Olympic boxing medalist, Hannah Tyrrell, Irish rugby player and Professor Jim Lucy, medical director at St. Patrick's Mental Health Services. Uh, that's uh, Thursday night, 730 
St. Oliver Plunkett's Navin Road, Dublin 7. That's all from this programme for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Do stay tuned to Dublin City FM throughout the day. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, take care, stay safe, have a great week. Bye-bye.